the Christmas decorations. So what we did was we, we, we invited them over, but we had this mailbox. And we told them that whatever they wanted for Christmas, to write it out, put it in the mailbox for us, so we kind of know exactly what they're wanting. But Nita did not know this, but I had put a, also a little uh, message in that mailbox, not for Santa Claus, but I put it for God. I put it for God. Listen, when Andrew asked me to speak this morning, I said, Lord, what am I supposed to speak on? What is the greatest need of the hour for the church? Lord, what is the greatest need of the hour for the church? You know what the Lord said? He said, Danny, what do you think is the greatest need of the hour of the church? He put it back upon me. And, and I believe that the greatest need of the hour of the church is exactly when we went to that mailbox and we opened it up, is that I might draw closer to the Lord. That this would be a year of unchanging things. That God would take us into a deeper road this coming year in 2024. I want to speak this morning out of Revelation, the third chapter, the 15th and 16th verse. Very familiar scripture. I know your works. I know that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. Who was it that said these words? John wanted it to be established who it was that said these words. It was Jesus. You see, uh, uh, John wanted to know that the person who spoke these words had some knowledge, had some understanding of the person that he was speaking these words to. Did Jesus? Did he have knowledge? Of course he did. I mean, it was Jesus with God when man was created. It was Jesus and God when uh, Jeremiah uh, said, before you was ever formed in my mother's room, you knew me. So he knew everything about us. He knew our goings. He knew our comings. Uh, he, he, he knows us intimately. He knows how much hair is on top of our head and how much I'm losing every day. He knows all about us, but most of all, he wants us to know where we're headed in the end time. Hallelujah. I, I remember that Anita and I, uh, years ago before we came to Mission Church, that we had wanted to begin a Bible study on Book of Revelation. And uh, we made application in this church where we were attending uh, that we could have this Bible study. And the church came back and told us, no, they did not want anything studied on anything of eschatology in the church because it's too confusing. There's nothing that's concrete. That's what they told us. So you say, well, Brother Danny, how did you feel about that? Well, I couldn't understand it because how can you uh, be so against something that Jesus himself signed off on, that Jesus himself said, 
Blessed is he that would study the words of this, of this book. Jesus, if you go back and look in Revelation, there are seven churches that stand for seven age, uh, different ages of church history. And Jesus wanted that every age of church history to know where we are headed to. The last age there is, it is the age of Laodicea. We are not fixing to enter into that age, but we have walked into the age of Laodicea. Laodicea, you say, well, Brother Danny, how do you know we have walked into that age? It's because of the characteristics of the age. It's going to be an age when there will be a great falling away. I don't have to give you the stats today to let you know that there has been a decrease in church attendance. Listen to me. Sometimes it's hard to get people out on Wednesday nights or Tuesday nights into the church services. And listen to me. Uh, we've gotten to a place where we have, we have compromised the truth, uh, where we've changed the truth into a lie. We've come to a place where we have uh, begun to gather together uh, ourselves to churches and to people who preach what we want to hear, not what the Word of God has to say for us. Most common phrase of Revelation is, He that hath an ear, let him hear. Listen, the world needs to realize and to open up its ears and to know that Jesus has not gone soft upon sin. The power of sin hasn't decreased, nor has the fires of hell been quenched today. God is not some soft-hearted uh, grandfather that over time has become soft-hearted to what he had once stood for. In other words, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah that America today embraces and hold, hold to themselves are the, uh, God still detests. God still feels today that sin is a, is a stench in the nostrils of God, that sin turns his stomach. Every ear that hath an ear, let him hear what the, the Spirit has to say. So we're saying, well, Brother Danny, you're scaring me this morning. In fact, you're scaring the living daylights out of me this morning. Well, you know what? If, I, if revelation is scaring the living daylights out of you, then, that, then the revelation is doing its job. Because the Bible said it's not God's will that none should perish. But 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter, the third verse says, Let no man deceive you by any means, lest there be a great falling away. So in this scary, shaky time, is there anything that we can do to bring man back upon course? Well, the answer to that is never hidden. Love never hides anything. Love, there is no walls, there's no partitions and love. That's the reason Jeremiah, Isaiah said these words in Isaiah 10, 27. He said that in that day the Lord will remove the heavy burden from your shoulders and break the yoke of bondage. In other words, the chains, the shackles, the bondages that you have in your life, the Lord said he's ready to set them free and then to break them. And the thing that's going to break them is the anointing of God. For every sickness, there is an antidote of treatment. So you're saying, Brother Danny, is there an antidote for what we're going through right now, what we're facing? There certainly is. It's a shot in the arm of the anointing of God. But so many people don't have a clue. 
or inkling in their minds to what the anointing is. But it's the anointing that's going to change the world. It's the anointing that's going to change America. It's the anointing that's going to change uh, hearts and lives of its people. It's the anointing that's going to change the youth of America. What is the anointing? The anointing is the indwelling presence of Almighty God. It's God in you doing what flesh cannot do. So how does God come into me, you ask? God's not going to push his way. God's not going to bulldoze his way. God, and if God's going to come in us, we have to ask God to come into us. Once God comes in you, then, you, then he'll take full control of your life. And when he takes full control of your life, that means that all of the decisions of your life, God makes and God has the final say-so. I wrote this down. God has the final trump card. You know what the trump card is? The trump card is the highest card that you can lay out, the highest card you can play. It's the final card. So that tells me that, that God holds the trump card of our lives, the final call in our life. But what is the biggest obstacle today in order to have the anointing in the presence of Almighty God? I believe that the biggest obstacle today uh, for us to have the anointing is ignorance. Listen, I've seen people stand for certain things, believe in certain things, and when you ask them, why do you believe that? They can't give you an inkling of an idea why they stand for it. It's just, it's just that they've been indoctrinated into those things. Let me give you an illustration. The other day, I heard a Catholic priest make this statement. He said, Jesus is Palestinian Jew. And I thought to myself when he said that, I said, where is this guy coming from? Hey, this is a man supposed to know the word. But he made a statement like that, that Jesus is a Palestinian and he's a Jew. That can't be true. Because the Bible says this, in order for him to be the Messiah, there are certain scriptures he had to fulfill. He had to be born of a virgin. He had to be a Jew. He had to come from the line of Judah. And he had to be a descendant of King David. So why did he make such a statement? I believe because he thought that acceptability matters. All is equal. All is important. Be comfortable. But when you put your thoughts and your ideas and your, your, and, and your ways into the thinking, that becomes humanism. Humanism is leaving God out of the equation. Listen, so the biggest problem we have is we try to we try to come and, and, and begin uh, not to understand. We become ignorant of what the anointing is. Another problem that we have about the anointing, we bring substitutions to the anointing. Look, being at the grocery store, one of the biggest things that I have all the time is people come up to me and say, hey, he says, I've got this recipe. And they say, look, I have searched your department. I can't find the herb. I can't find the vegetable. What can we substitute? So I'll get on the internet and we'll look it up and sure enough it has a substitution. But let me tell you this. When you deviate from what is real, you end up with imposters. Imposters 
are not real. When the creator, the one that put that recipe together, when he did it, uh, he, he put it with certain uh, ingredients, certain herbs and certain spices. And if you deviate from that, you know what you get? You're not getting the real thing. You're getting an imposture. According to 2 Thessalonians and Revelation chapter 3, we have entered into a time where the, world, where the church is trying to conjure up uh, an alluring, attractive recipe filled with substitutions rather than the reality of the anointing of Almighty God. Now let me tell you how I, what I'm saying. Listen, back when Solomon completed the temple, remember that the Bible said that at the end of it, the priest was going to go in. What? They could not go in because the presence of God entered into that temple with a, with a cloud of smoke, uh, and, and it was so heavy they could not go in. But what we try to substitute today is our fog machines. Amen. We bring them in our churches. We get all this fog all kicked up to try to illustrate uh, the, the presence of God in our midst. And then we know that light is a symbolic of the glory of God. So what we do is we go into churches and there's uh, strobe lights uh, shooting all over the place. Come on, church. And then we come to a place where we, the Bible says that we need to dance before the Lord, but we then try to take the dance of the Lord and we instill it into worldly dancing. Did you know when I saw on the internet the other day, our church where that was allowed twerking in the church? Come on. And then what about preaching the gospel of Jesus that changes lives? The power of the preaching of the gospel. You know what we've substituted? At the movies. Where we allow Hollywood to come in and try to teach our people the things of God. And we've took Coke and we've took popcorn and we brought it into our house of God and defiled the temple of the Lord. And even down to the small groups where we're supposed to meet together, take the word of God and study the word of God. Instead, it becomes sports classes where we've gathered together and we watch a football game and then we'll analyze that football game instead of taking the Word of God and analyzing the Word of God. Or we begin to have our quilt classes that we go to and we begin to have different techniques on how to quilt or quilt the, uh, different ideas instead of how to sow people into the kingdom of God. Our churches have become a place of comfortability rather than accountability. We have allowed things that once were taboo to come into our church under the banner of all is welcome. Comfortability without conviction. Comfortability without repentance. And what scares me the most is that we've allowed all these things to happen on our own watch. When we, while we sit, it on, sit on pews, we have fallen asleep. I think the best illustration is that of the frog that we all know. That if you take a frog and throw him in hot water, what is he going to do? He'll jump out. 
That's right. But if you leave him in that water while it's cool and begin to turn up the heat, begin to turn up the heat, pretty soon he becomes paralyzed in the midst of that heat while he's in and all that environment, and, and soon enough he'll, he'll boil to death. Maybe that's the reason I read these words the other day that I wrote down. We are in trouble when sin does not bother us, but correction does. The anointing of God would do one thing. It'll point out the phonies. They'll stick out like a sore thumb. Don't you understand that is the reason why the Bible tells us that if we're going to change the world, it's got to begin with the anointing of God. Some people say, well, I don't see the difference in the, uh, the anointing. I don't see the difference in, 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 uh, in, 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 in that whatsoever. But there is. There's a difference between singing and anointing singing. Look, well, I've, you can come into church, and I've done it myself, where I come in and I just mimic the words. I'm not really singing them. I'm just mimicking. You know, I'm not, my heart is not in the music. My heart is not in the words. But when you begin to think about what you're singing about, when you begin to think about the love and the mercy of Jesus, it begins to stir something down deep in your soul that resonates, and it comes out, and that's anointing. And even when it's preaching of the gospel, where that we begin to preach and begin to change lives and scuff up shoes and, and preach the truth of the gospel, Anointing preaching will stir the pot. Anointing, when you stir the pot, pot, you stir the contents. Anointing preaching will bring power. Power that overwhelms. Power that changes. Power that brings a shaking and a transformation. Hallelujah. And an anointed preaching will result in powerful altar calls. The other day, I, I was... I was uh, listening to a preacher talk that they had just finished a service. He said they had over 500 people that got up and ran to the altars. And when you get under the anointed preaching and God begins to move, listen, it'll draw you to the altars where like, where, where like the prophet Isaiah said, Woe is me when you get in the presence of God. You stand in his presence. You say, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. In Exodus chapter 30, we read in verse 22 and through 33, God gave specific commands to Moses of how to make that anointing oil. And he said, don't deviate from what I've told you how to make that anointing oil. And then God secondly said, I'll tell you how to use that anointing oil. You take that anointing oil, you pour it up on my priest, you pour it up on every piece of article in the temple, and it's for generations to come. Now here's something interesting when I was studying this, is that when they pulled that anointing oil upon a person, it was six quarts of oil. Think about that. Six quarts of oil poured out upon your head. My Lord, uh, uh, you would look like a drenched rat. Can you imagine? Some of you ladies, if I was to say, well, I'm going to anoint you. Come on up here. I'm going to pour quarts of, uh, six quarts of oil on your head. You say, no, I just went to the beauty shop yesterday. You think you're going to mess this up? I paid over $100 for it. You're not going to mess my hair up. Even some of you guys may say, well, you know what? 
Uh, I just got some new threads and to wear today to church. And you think you're going to pull that oil up on my new threads? No, I don't think that's going to happen. I remember uh, one time we had a pool of Bethesda. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. A pool of Bethesda service in our church and while I was pastoring. So I went out and bought this little pool. We set up the little pool right here. And the night before, we filled it full of water, and we prayed around the pool. There was nothing special about that pool. I didn't buy it from some faith ministry, or did I go out and, and buy uh, oil, water from some uh, that was from the River of Jordan and, and put a few drops into it. But here's what we believe. We believe that when that God would come and stir the waters, and we believe like Israel, when they came to the Red Sea, that when that person put their foot out into that poo and touched that poo, that whatever binds them and chains them suddenly begins to divide and it falls off of them and they walk out in freedom. I remember we had this one little old lady in our church. I happened to be walking by her and I heard her say these words. She says, oh, she said, you know what? If Brother Danny thinks I'm going to take my stockings off <laughs> and I'm going to walk through that poo, that's so disgraceful. I'm not going to do it. So you say, well, what happened to that little old lady? She died. <laughs> not from that. She died later on when she got to be a real old lady. But the fact is, I don't think that she got her healing that day simply because she said, God, it's got to be my way. Now, if I'm sitting up here and I make an announcement, Andrew, and I tell the church, hey, I found out there's gold, there's gold buried here somewhere up on this property. Some of you, Nick may get up, head straight out, as fast as he can before I can say another word and go home and get his pick and shovel. <laughs> Be back here for I can say the last amen. So, that's it. Some of you may even get up after the service and bypass McDonald's and bypass the Golden Corral and go get your uh, shovel and come back and begin to dig. And you'll dig all over this place and this place will look like Swiss cheese. But you don't know what you're doing. You don't know where you're going. Listen, the greatest treasure you have is the anointing of God. But you need a map to know how to get to that anointing. And God's word will tell you how to get that, to that anointing. You've got to follow that mound. It's God's way or no way today. What would happen if David would have told Samuel? Samuel? Listen, before you pull that six quarts of oil up on me, I just put some of these nice clothes on. And if you'll give me a little time, I'll go home, I'll dress, get my old clothes that I, I don't mind throwing away in the garbage can. I'll come back, and then you can anoint me. Or what if David would have said, hey, I'm a shepherd. My job is to take care of the sheep. And if I, and, 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 and there's nobody there to take care of my sheep, and, and that's my job. But if you give me a time, I'll find somebody today, and tomorrow you can anoint me. What would have happened? 
to David. I've always heard the saying, you got to strike while the iron is hot. You got to move as God moves. Listen to what I wrote down here. Hesitation leads to wasted opportunities. Wasted opportunities at holding back. Jesus tells a story of a king that made a great supper, and he sent out the invitations, and we know that story. And, and right away, people begin to make excuses why they can't come. Some said, I've got to go and bury a family member. Some said, I've got some oxen that I've got to go take care of. Some said, well, uh, you know what? I just bought a piece of ground. I've got to go check on him. Moses said, hey, I've got a handicap, God. I stutter a lot. Gideon said, hey, I'm the least among my people. I, I, you, you can't depend upon me, God. I'm sorry, God. Not now. Maybe later, God. But and then, and when the time is right, I will accept. But hesitation would cost them two things. Number one, it cost them an awesome meal. Number two, it cost them time with the king. And I believe that the many times the reason we don't walk in the anointing of God is because of hesitation. We hesitate instead of being responsive when God begins to move into our lives. Hear me this morning. Many churches are dead. There's no life. They're, there's, they, they are just are lethargic. And the reason they are is that they are dead. Dead batteries can't charge dead batteries. If you have no anointing, you are a dead church. There's enough funeral homes in Gulfport. We don't need to let Mission Church be another funeral home. When Peter, uh, when Jesus came to Peter, he said, I'm going to wash your feet, Peter. Peter said, no, you're not. He said, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord. And the Lord said, well, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can't be a part in my kingdom. And you know what Peter said? He said, hey, he said, where you put it? He said, wash just not my feet, wash all of me. He said, a sponge bath is not going to do me. Now, I don't know if Anita can remember this, but back when Hurricane Katrina, Katrina hit, we had three oak trees on our house. One broke through the main beam of our house. Being living way out in northern uh, uh, Harrison County, we had, we had no electricity. We had no well, so we stunk and we sweated to death. You lay on a bed, and you lay in there, it, it gets hotter after a hurricane. It's hot. And the last thing you want to do is snuggle up to each other. You want to be as far apart. But I remember one day, our neighbor came down. He said, hey, I've got a generator, and I've got a big old pool. He said, if you would just come down, he says, I tell you what, you can take a dip in that pool. We went down there. I got in waist-deep water. I didn't take that water and just pour it over my head or dip my head in it or kind of wipe myself. You know what I did? I took a nosedive right down into that pool. But when I came up, I came up different. 
When I came up, that night air hit me. I wasn't hot again. I was refreshed. I was renewed. I was a different person. And here's what the Lord says today. If we can just dive down into the anointing of God, if we can just get below, when we come up, people, we're going to be a new person in Him. God is looking for people who will say, God, pour it all out upon me, oh God. I want it all out upon me. Nita would tell you that one of the things that I love is mayonnaise on my sandwiches. And I, when Nita says it's mayonnaise sandwiches because I got <laughs> caked in mayonnaise, then I put a little piece of meat up on it. But anyway, so sometimes I've walked into the refrigerator and there I tried to get mayonnaise and there's no mayonnaise. So I began to scrape around there, get me a little scraper and scrape around. Then when it, that wasn't enough, I took my finger. And I begin to wipe around and try to get a hair bit of that mayonnaise out of that jar. Well, that's the way it is. Say, God, pour all that six quarts. Pour it all up on me, God. And if it's not enough, then take your fingers and begin to move your fingers around, God. I want every drop there is upon me. Don't be a spiritual runt. You know what a runt is. It's that puppy that gets pushed down to the end. Of, of, of the bed, of his mother's bed. When a mother gets in to nurse, all them big dogs push him on down to the end and he doesn't get any milk. But, re, but determined this year in 2024, I'm not going to be a spiritual runt anymore. I'm going to get up. I'm going to push whatever I can push out of my way. I'm going to position myself where I can get that milk of the word, where I can get the milk that I need to make me who I need to be today. Listen, Anita and I took our kid, grandkids one time to, to this splash pad. She can remember this. And at this particular splash pad, there was a big, huge bucket that stood at the top of this uh, uh, splash pad. And I saw water being poured into this uh, big bucket that was up there. And, and I watched that bucket. Then all at once, I began to hear a little bells go off. Ding, 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 ding. And when those bells begin to go off, you know what happens? Kids begin to position themselves. They begin to run beneath that bucket. And I watched that bucket as it poured over them. And I saw how excited that they were. And I began to think, I said, Lord, I said, if we can just get shut in with you, if we can shut out the world, and that's the reason the Bible says shut out the world, where you have a clear understanding, a clear mind. And if you get that clear mind, then you can get your ears in tune with this ringing of the bells because the God begins to ring those bells. The angels of God ring the bells. And when the angels ring the bells, get yourself beneath for the bucket to begin to pour itself out upon you. Hallelujah. I say, God, dump it all. Dump it all. Come on. Who would say dump it all? Dump it all, Lord. Dump it all up on me. Hallelujah. A church beneath the bucket. Listen to me. A church beneath the bucket. You know what? That's what Joel saw. He saw a church beneath the bucket. Joel said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, all ages, all nationalities. He saw no division. He said, I'm going to pour my spirit out. 
Did you realize one thing about Old Testament days? That when the Holy Ghost came upon a person to do a special task or to do something, it came and then it left. It didn't abide. It didn't stay. It came and then it was left. I even read where that they spoke in tongues. They, it said that they babbled. They had a babbling. Do you know when the last days begin for man? The last days begin at the ascension of Jesus Christ. When Jesus ascended back to God, we walked into the last days. Jesus knew when he was ascended before he ascended back unto God, he knew what we were going to face as a church, as a body. He knew that, it, that the devil was going to turn up the heat. The devil was going to put the pressure on. That's the reason that the Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost. You know, I, I, I hear a lot of preaching about latter-day uh, outpourings. But let me just make this statement. This is Danny Hayes. And, you know, just Danny Hayes. But I believe the great outpouring occurred on the day of Pentecost. There has never been a greater outpouring of God's Spirit than what occurred on that 120 when they were in upper room. I can't get all of your people here to get everybody in the right mind at the right time. None of us are in the right mind. Some of you may be thinking about what are you eating right now? What are you going to eat after church? But that day, they were all in the same mind. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them. You know, last week, I believe it was, James and I were talking, and, and we were talking about how, at this time how the devil seems just to, just to come, and, and it seems like we're fighting one battle after another battle. To get up here this morning, I, had, I was wrestling with, with, with my health. Many of you know that I went to the hospital with my heart racing and with my A-field. And I said, Lord, if I stand before them people my, and to get, get excited, Lord, I'm, my heart's going to race out of my, my, my chest and I'll have a heart attack right in front of all those people, God. But when I got up this morning, I put my... I put my uh, 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 blood pressure machine on it was 138 over 74 with a 58 heartbeat God took care of me listen to me the anointing daily walking under the anointing the Lord knew that we needed a daily walk not a, a come and go walk when the anointing comes it abides with us the Bible says that we abide in Christ, he abides in us. That word means, abiding means we hang out with Jesus. They say that birds of a feather, what? Flock together. And you know what? The early Christians got their name Christians in Antioch because they were so much like Jesus. Abiding means that he stays. He doesn't come. The whole, you don't come into this church and the Holy Spirit walks in with you at that time. And when you leave, the Holy Spirit stays. It simply abides. So 
it makes residence for. So I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, can you teach me what it means about abiding? And the Lord spoke into my heart. You want to know how what the Lord told me? He said this, and it's going to sound kind of silly to you, but listen to me. This is how the Lord explained it to me. He said, Danny, think about Superman. He said, now here's my question. When Superman wore his outfit, was it all the time? Or was it only he, the times when he had to run into a booth and change into that outfit? Which was it? I began to think what the Lord was speaking to me. And I said, Lord, he must have had to have that cape on all the time. And what he did was when circumstances dictated, he had run into a place, take off that outer garment that would reveal where his power was, that inner garment, that's where all what where he was, and and then he walked in it. Then I understood what the Lord said when He admonishes us to walk in the Spirit. You know, many times. Let me tell you what. I many times, Nita would tell you that I have walked out of the house, putting my I was going to put my phone on charge. I put my phone on charge, walked out of the house without getting my phone. You know what I was? I was naked all day long. I didn't have my phone with me. So Superman couldn't put his little cape and everything in a little bitty, uh, uh, say, satchel and walk with that cape wherever he went. What would, it, what would happen if he forgot about it and left it at home? Huh? He'd been as naked as I was. And that's the way it is. We've got to walk daily. And when we say that we walk daily in the anointing of God, it means that we walk daily clothed in God, clothed in that power, clothed in the presence of God. It's just the problem sometimes is we need to take that outer shell off of us. We're in that last day of church age when we're denying Everything there is has to deal with the spirit of God and manifestations of God. Even Joe and Stephanie can tell you that they were at a place one time and the pastor got up and said, there's no more manifestations of God. And Stephanie happened to open up her hand and there was gold dust right in her hand. God said, I'm going to show you it is a gift. It, 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 it is manifested today. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says in Psalms, it says, I shall, that we shall be anointed with fresh oil. If you came to my house and Nita cooked us, say, a, a nice roast and gravy, and I look at you and, 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 and uh, I say, Mary, hey, would you like to have some bread with that, with that uh, gravy and Sop up that gravy, that awesome gravy that Anita made. You'd say, yeah. But when I bring out that, that, that bread and I give it to Mary and she fills it, she says, oh, my Lord, this is as hard as the floor that I just walked in on. There's no way it's going to sop up anything 
at all. It's no good. It's past its day. It's bailed out. It's no good. What are you going to do? Are you going to bite into it and break a tooth? Or are you going to say, Brother Danny, this bread's bailed out. It's past its time. I'm going to tell you what, it can't sop up anything. You know what you need to do? You need to make croutons out of this bread. <laughs> what about it, Miss Anita? Do you have anything in that cupboard over there that's fresh, that can sop up my gravy? Or how about going and making us some good hot biscuits? That would even be better. I want you to pray something with me this morning. Would you right now? Everybody pray this prayer. God, please don't let my anointing spell out. Use me while I am fresh, bendable, soppable, so I can sop up all my plate. Amen. One thing God likes, happy plates. God likes it that when he shoves it out, we shove it back empty. When we were on the cruise, uh, I remember there was one particular meal that I, I just didn't really care for. I didn't eat much of. So our waiter came over to me and he said, Danny, he says, uh, do you want me to take your plate back to the chef and see if he could bring you something else that you could eat? You know, I said, uh, no, that's, that's all right. You know, because uh, if I would have sent that food back, it would have gave an indication to that chef that I was unhappy, that he didn't cook my meal to please me. So anyway, that God wants us to know that when, when he shoves it out to us, that we shove it back, it's empty, and what we say there with a smile on our face saying, saying God, I'm ready for more. How many of you can say, God, I'm ready for more? Hallelujah. When you walk under the anointing of God, it's going to give off a beautiful fragrance. Listen to me. Ecclesiastes 10.1 said, Dead flies can cause a bottle of perfume to stink. How can something that's so pleasurable have such a good smell draw flies? It becomes repulsive. Now, I've walked down sides of roads we all have. Down the road where we see things dead and they're covered in flies. Well, how can something that's so beautiful have a good smell suddenly draw flies? I wonder sometimes, is the reason people come to the church and then walk away is because they smell a stench of death in the church? Life is not found in funeral homes, but the dead are. Dead churches are filled with dead people. Dead people are spiritual zombies that feed off of dead sermons, lifeless singing, and powerless altars. We're so dead in the church that we take our Bibles and use them as fly swatters. Listen. We used to sing a song a long time ago. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen come and dine. Come and dine, the master calls. I think we need to put a sign outside of Mission Church 
that says open buffets. <laughs> we need to create such an aroma, such a smell, that it would draw people, would cause people to stop, take notice, and come in. Do you remember a couple years ago when we had the church picnic? We had couples that came in from the picnic. They just stopped off the side of the road, came in, and fellowshiped with us. That's how it needs to be. Oh, taste that the Lord is good. I remember one time, I remember one time Grandma cooked this big old huge pot of black-eyed peas. Ooh, man, that house was smelling so awesome. And them black-eyed peas cooking. I walked in there and my mouth started watering. I said, Grandma, I said, them, them smell so good, them black-eyed peas. I got to have me some of them black-eyed peas. Grandma said, Danny, go get the ladle. It's right over there. Get you a bowl. And I got some fresh-made cornbread over there and get you some. I went over there. I stuck that lateral down into that black-eyed peas. I pulled it up, and up came a pig's tail covered in hair, covered in hell. You know what I did? That which was pleasant became stinking. I shoved it back down into the pot. Grandma said, what's wrong with you? I said, Grandma, I'm, I just don't feel well right now. <laughs> Listen, create such an aroma that it will create an air of expectancy that people, when they walk through the door, say, I got to have me some of that at Mission Church. Remember Esau? Esau came off the hunt. He was hungry. He thought he was going to die because it's been days since he ate anything. But Jacob was cooking up some big old uh, deer. And Esau said, i got to have me some of that deer. That's how we need to be. We need to create just like that. Another thing is about the anointing. The anointing would change the atmosphere. When Mary broke that bottle, suddenly there was a change of atmosphere. I don't know what that, what it was like before then. It might have been musty and smelly. But whatever happened, when she broke that perfume, everybody knew something changed in that room. The atmosphere totally changed. Have you ever walked into a place, you felt like you walked into a pit? It seemed like you walked into a pit of hopelessness, a pit of despair, a pit of no joy, a pit of no positive words, depression, loneliness. And you begin to think, oh, my Lord, if I can't get myself out of this pit, if I can't get myself out of this atmosphere, then there's a dark cloud that's going to encompass itself around me, and I'll never find my way out. But have you ever had people that you've been associated with that somehow they created a different atmosphere and when they walked in the midst of people, they were positive-minded, they uplifted your spirit, and all you wanted to do was gravitate yourself toward that person and be near that person. When you walk under the anointing of God, you're going to change the atmosphere where, they were, where, you, are, where you are. It did for that cripple at the gate called Beautiful. Here John walked up to him. He probably thought it, his atmosphere, that the day's atmosphere was going to be the same. 
He'll come there, lay at the gate. He might hear a few coins fall down into his pot. But then he said, well, it's going to be the atmosphere is going to be the same. The people's going to look at me and say, you are men of society. You're worthless. You're just nothing but a beggar. You're no good to society. But that day when the disciples walked upon him, suddenly there was a difference in the smell of the air. And it drew his attention to them. But what drew, what, what, more than that, what drew his, their, his, their, his attention was the fact that the disciples spoke different. The words that they would spoke were, were words of life. It changed his whole atmosphere. And what about Paul and Silas? Remember when they were in, in jail? You know, the atmosphere was dungy. I mean, it's probably just damp and dark. Uh, sewer, sewer water was running under, down below them, rats running over their feet. They could have sat there and the atmosphere that they could have had was, oh my Lord, look what loving Jesus got me into. But instead, the Bible said they began to sing praises. And it changed the whole atmosphere there. Hallelujah. The anointing will always make a change in your atmosphere. Listen, I'm an old man. And, and I told you, sometimes being an old man, you better write down words that the Lord gives you. So these are some of the words that the Lord gave me, and I wrote them down. I believe we desperately need, in the days to come, a people and a church that will walk with an aroma, a church that changes the atmosphere of its community, of its city, of its state, but most of all, the people that attends its assemblies. They will cause people to stop and take notice. And when they come to this point, they will change the atmosphere around them. Hallelujah. The anointing will change your atmosphere. Let me hurry on. The two prayers that I want to pray this morning is, Lord, create a beautiful smell inside of me. And Lord, pour your power in me that will change the atmosphere 2 Corinthians 2.15 says we have become the unmistakable aroma of the victory of the anointed one to God. So what Paul is saying here is that we are, have the aroma of a perfume. Have you ever had somebody walk by you and you say, whew, it smells like they took a bath in the, in the perfume. Well, that's what I want. I want to have so much perfume upon me. Lord, that the people will stop and say, oh, my Lord, um, you know, he must have been close to Jesus. But I, but I want God to pour his, his, his aroma upon my life, and, and I could be a sweet smell back unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Listen to me. i got to hurry. But when the, if you would go with me to the streets of Jerusalem this morning, can we? If you would go with me to the streets of Jerusalem this morning and we would be on the streets, you would hear a And I would look at you. I'd say, Alan, do you hear that? Yeah, Danny, I hear it. Where is it coming from? Then Anita said, it's the priest. Look at there. It's the priest. The priests are all covered in oil. 
They the ones that making the sound. And look, look at there, their feet. Look, they're leaving, they're leaving footprints there. They're leaving footprints because their feet are so full, their shoes are so full of the oil of God upon them. Listen to me. Have you ever walked in after a heavy rain? And you walk in and and you got so your, your shoes are so saturated that you leave water all over the floor, and the wife begins to say, Look what you're doing. You're leaving water all over the floor. You're leaving tracks all over the place. No, you stay right where you are. You're leaving tracks all over the place. We need to be so drenched in the oil of the anointing of God that we leave tracks wherever we go. Listen. I can, I can visualize it. In my mind, I visualize it. I visualize those 120 in that upper room when they walked out after they had been saturated by the power and the oil of God's anointing. When they walked out, they left tracks throughout all of the world where they went. So what are the qualifications for the anointing of oil? The Bible said, upon man's flesh it shall not be poured out. Wow, when I read that, I said, now, that sounds contradictory, God. Because you just told me that the oil is to be used for generations to come. But now you're saying that it's not to be poured out upon man. I'm a little confused. Now, there are certain foods that need a love, but she won't fix them in our house. You know why? Because she knows that I can't. I don't like them. And she knows that if she fixed them for herself, then she'll just waste it because it just go in the garbage can. She might eat it, but it'd be a biggest waste. God is not going to dishonor his anointing by pouring it upon somebody that will waste it away. It's like pouring it upon the ground. Only those people who have an appreciation and an understanding and a desire to walk in the anointing will he'll pour that anointing out upon them. Exodus 30, 33 says, It shall not be poured, it shall be not be poured out upon man. The Exodus, the, the, the man that Exodus is talking about is a person who is not a stranger to the presence of God. Therefore, the anointing is not for the stranger, but it's for the person who testifies about having God in his life. If I can say anything this morning, Mission Church is not a stranger to the presence of God. Listen to me. We have right there, right there is where angels have been seen going and coming in this church. Right back there is where angels have been seen in this church. A lot of times you may see me walk back when we're doing prayer service. I walk back because I want to be back where angels were. I want to be there in case one comes. We're not a stranger to God healing sicknesses in our church, to God growing out thumbs, to God growing out limbs in our church. We're not a stranger to be sitting here as we were just a few moments ago, and God began to speak, and the discerning of the Spirit begins to come into our midst. 
God will not pour his spirit out upon those who do not have appreciation for his spirit. We are a church that walk not in form, but we walk in power. So let's make this coming year a decision that we're going to walk not in form, but we're going to be a church that walks in power. So you say, well, Brother Danny, can you sum that message up this morning in 10 seconds? Yep. You say, well, why didn't you do that? We could have been at the buffet a lot quicker. <laughs> but I think what I could probably say is just this, that people are not looking for an imitation. They're looking for the real thing. Rehoboam was Solomon's son. Rehoboam offered in his day a day of imitation. You see, gold was plenteous back in Solomon's time. Read it for yourself. Everything was made of gold and or overlaid with gold. Solomon made these uh, shields that were pure gold. Think of the value of that. Shields that are pure gold. When Rehoboam came to throne, Rehoboam somehow, uh, these uh, shields got stolen. So to cover up his blunder, you know what he did? Rehoboam, like many governments do, do a cover up. He went out, he got some brass, and he had them to shine this brass up real shiny to make it look like that it's the real thing when it wasn't. And then he realized that to safeguard his cover-up, he put around about him guards that would not let the people close to these false brass imitations of gold. Because they would see, hey, this is not real. This is false. So in 2024, when people walk into Mission Church this coming year, I pray that when they look at this church, when they look at you, that they can say, that's the real thing. And that we're not imitation at all. Let me close. My dad used to tell me, he said, Danny, he said, cars don't run on gas at all. He said, you better check that oil. There's many times that I didn't check the oil and I heard my car knocking. And when I went to check that oil stick, sure enough, there was no oil up on the stick. But you know what happens if you don't have oil in your car? Then the engine begins to overheat. Everything begins to lock up. So you know what I'm going to ask you this morning? I'm going to ask you to check your oil stick. I'm going to ask you this morning to see how much oil, how much anointing is in your life. I wrote down these words. Impotence is when you all word and no action. Can we be spiritually impotent today? I'm looking for believers who are like Elijah, Elijah, that know how to reach up and grab hold of the anointing of God before 
it falls to the ground. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. I'm going to ask Paul to play for us just a, a song at this time. And I want you just to shut yourself in with God this morning for just a few moments. Would you? this morning, church. Don't be in any hurry this morning. said that Gabriel spoke to Mary. He said, Mary, you're going to have a son. Mary said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Gabriel spoke. He said that the Holy Spirit would overshadow you. And I studied that. Overshadowing. What does that mean? That means a cloud. A cloud would come and encompass Mary and overshadow her. And she would conceive. Hallelujah. That's what I want this morning. Those of you that will say, Brother Danny, I want to walk in that anointing for 2024. I want you to come to the altars. Come on. 